want to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We have left the initial kind of chapter by chapter uh, part of Proverbs, first nine chapters, and now we're in the scattered short sayings we all know and love, uh, all, all are familiar with. So today, our journey in Proverbs is going to take us to chapter 25. Chapter 25. I think we can all agree we all have regrets, right? I, I don't necessarily mean like that you live with regret, just that you have regrets. Things that you've done that you wish you hadn't. Well, I thought today would be as good as time any to share with you some of my biggest regrets. So are you ready? Number one. Uh, one of my biggest regrets was thinking I was invincible. Now, if you say you've never thought this, you're lying. Because I know all of us at one point have thought ourselves invincible. And when it was, I, when it, it was when I thought I was invincible that I did the dumbest things. So, like, drive fast, like, really fast. And I must be like a cat and have nine lives because I should be dead by now, but I'm not. Uh... Also, uh, stealing signs. Thinking I was invincible led to me stealing some street signs. I do have a memento from these days, and it is in my shop at home. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but it does say Willis, so this belonged to me. So thinking I was invincible. Number two, thinking I would have the same opportunities in life no matter what. So I grew up playing soccer, and uh, I loved it. And I wouldn't have called myself a hard worker, though. I didn't run as hard as I could, didn't run as fast as I could, didn't play as hard as I could, simply because I thought, uh, like, I could just do this, you know, whenever I wanted to growing up. You know, having the opportunity to play organized sports is just a given. And my goodness, I wish I could still play. It's like the, the farther along I've gotten in life, like, it's like I was in this oasis of playing soccer to now like a desert. I even had to go up, so I go to a high school near our house to run on the track, and I had to go up to like these high school kids and say like, hey, could I like play soccer with you guys sometime? I'm pretty sure he was weirded out about it, but I'm going to do it if I ever see him again. But if I had the same opportunity to play soccer like I used to, man, I would approach it so differently. So, so just thinking I would have the same opportunities is, is one of my biggest regrets. Uh, and the last regret I'll share today is quitting too soon. If, if I had time to write down things that I quit too soon that I wish I wouldn't have quit, like I'm sure the list would be really long. And by now, I wish that I could play an instrument. I wish I had picked up an instrument instrument long enough to learn how to play it and play it and you guys know when I've had to lead worship what that's like and we're all really thankful for Roger so like I said we may not live with regret but we certainly have regrets uh, that that we carry in life regrets are part of what it means to be human we make mistakes we mess up and so we have regrets but a lot of those times, those regrets are often mixed with uh, our sinfulness and our selfishness, right? So regrets can even be more deep or more hurtful. And as I thought through that list, right, and I, 
as I think through my other regrets, a lot of them happened because I just didn't think. I just acted on impulse. Like a lot of my regrets are simply because I acted on something that I wanted without thinking about it. We've learned over and over again that the fear of the Lord is the beginning and foundation of wisdom. And from that flows a life of fruitful wisdom. And so, right, this is the point in Proverbs where we begin to see how wisdom is applied in all areas of life. So the sermons from here on out are going to be a lot more application heavy. They're going to be very application heavy because that's what this is. That's all we have to work with now. It's just application after application. And the ability to, to pause and to assess and to think and consider possibilities follows so closely on the hills of the fear of the Lord. The regrets I have are due to the fact I just didn't think. I just acted on impulse. And what I lacked ultimately was self-control. I lacked self-control. My flesh, my sinful desires, and even my idols controlled my choices and my responses. But living in wisdom means to learn how to exercise self-control and prudence. The ability to pause assess and think not in the flesh but in the spirit not letting the flesh control our responses but letting the the spirit control them so look at me at, at, at proverbs 25 verse 28 it's the last last verse in chapter 25 a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls a city without walls is useless, right? You're vulnerable to attack, you're vulnerable to theft, and all kinds of different dangers. And if you don't have a wall around your city, nothing else you do in the city matters. So before we get to any other part of wise living, this is where we begin with self-control. And what I want to do today is define three characteristics of self-control the first characteristic is openness versus presumption openness versus presumption last week i talked about how we need to read proverbs in parallels right they they build on one another the two lines need to be read together and often in proverbs the meaning of a proverb it, it seem, might seem obvious but it's found in the contrast between the wise and the foolish, right? It's, it's the contrast itself that brings greater, greater, greater clarity to light. So like maybe a spotlight shining on an object. That's what happens. And this is especially true in, Pro, in, in Proverbs about self-control. Uh, so if you flip back to chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The contrast here is between the fool who is right in his own eyes and a wise man who listens to advice. 
What Solomon is doing here is he's contrasting openness versus presumption. Being right in your own eyes versus listening to advice. And the first thing that we notice like among those with self-control is an openness to learning. An openness to learning. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Self-control starts with the recognition that we can always grow and learn. I often think about, right, and, and, and when, as we learn about God, what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to know God directly, right? We're going to see Him. But just because we see Jesus face to face and we know Him truly, it's going to take an eternity for us to learn Him fully. Which is to say we'll never learn Him fully. So if it's true of heaven that we will never reach the spot, that we'll never get there in our knowledge of God, how much more of that is true here on earth? Even when we've arrived at the right truth, or right theology, or right doctrine, or right practice, or whatever, self-control means recognizing we can still grow in them. So, we want Proverbs 18.15 to be true of us. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Continual growing and learning for more. But it's easier said than done, right? The problem with this is our fleshly impulse is to hate advice. So Proverbs 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We don't like to listen, we like to talk. Is what Solomon is talking about here. We don't like to listen and, and receive, we like to talk. And we especially like talking our way out of being corrected or needing to grow. So I try to watch my pride. I don't always keep my pride in check. And it gets me into trouble, especially when someone tries to correct me on something or, or teach me on something I already think I know a lot about. Driving. Mel's finally learning that trying to correct me while driving doesn't work. Cooking, being a dad, I get into trouble because I presume I already know everything there is to know. And so the danger that we fall into with this attitude is in chapter 15, verse 12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Why? Doesn't he like to be reproved or corrected? To protect his idols. He's like a tax evader trying to avoid the IRS. He's trying to protect his idols. Which means that there's not only an openness to learning, but an openness to rebuke. Listen to the, this contrast in chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof 
It's stupid. I like how blunt scripture is. Calling people stupid. That's me. Love for discipline is contrasted with hatred of reproof. That's the contrast. Love for discipline and hatred of reproof, rebuke. And and both discipline and and reproof involve this idea of, of sharp correction. It's not a gentle kind of nudging. It's a, it's a sharp correction, a rebuke. If you've ever been rebuked before, it's painful and sometimes seems harsh. But those of self-control know they often need it. So there's not only this recognition that we need to learn and grow, but there's also a recognition that we are probably wrong. And we need to be corrected. So the wise are open to rebuke. Proverbs 13.1, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Uh, 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 we scoff at rebuke, right? A scoffer scoffs at rebuke when we think about how unfair the rebuke is. Or we dwell on, oh, that was too harsh. It was so harsh. That's when we scoff at rebuke. Rather than thinking about how true it might be. We focus on the hurt rather than the truth. Obviously, there is rebuke that's unfair. There's rebuke that's unwarranted. There's rebuke that's not needed. But that's not the point. The point is that self-control is the ability to receive any kind of instruction or rebuke or correction and learn from it chapter 21 verse 11 when a scoffer is punished the simple become wise when a wise man is instructed he gains knowledge or chapter 7 or 27 verses 5 to 6 this is one of my favorites better is open rebuke than hidden love faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wise and those who practice self-control want friends who will rebuke them when they're in error. Sugar maple trees are sometimes called rock maples. And the reason is because they are resilient trees, right? The environment that they grow in, they make the most of where they are. So the most resilient trees have this ability to adapt in the harshest of an environment. So may we learn to learn from and adapt to the harshest rebukes and criticism. There's an openness to learning. There's an openness to rebuke. And when this openness to rebuke happens, there follows an openness to repentance. Proverbs 14.9 Fools mock at making amends for sin. But goodwill is found among the upright. I think Solomon means there's not just a mocking of the sin that that needs to be amended, but there's a mocking of the very idea of making amends. The presumption is that they don't have anything to amend because there's nothing they've committed. The wise, those who practice this self-control, Don't mock when there's an opportunity to repent, no matter how slight it is. In fact, 
the wise welcome opportunities to make amends and to repent. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. When repentance is called for, our first reaction is not to mock repentance. So there's an openness. Openness to correction. Openness to learning. Openness to rebuke. Openness to repentance versus presumption. Very closely related to this idea of openness is this ability to pause. So I've talked about my dog Finn before. He's five years old, and I've done everything in the world to train him. He's super smart. He knows a lot, and he's, to some degree, very trainable. And in overall, he has a very sweet disposition. But he has also developed certain habits that, that we've tried to break, but that we haven't been able to. And so the reason that, that dogs, I've learned, because we've gotten trainer after trainer, training after training, all this kind of thing, we've learned too much about dogs. But the reason is, is because he acts a certain way, is because he's learned that when he does something, it either helps him get what he wants, or, or it, he gets punished for it, or what have you. There's a negative consequence. So, for a dog, he does something, he gets what he wants, it becomes an impulse for him, and he does it more and more and more and more, which is why I have a scar on my hand from trying to trim his nails, because his impulse was to bite me, and now we, he has long nails. And he, it drives us crazy when we're trying to go to sleep, because you know how dogs like make their nests, you know, and the whole time he's just like scratching the floor, like making his nest, and I just wish I could trim his paws. You, you, apparently you can go and get your dog sedated. I haven't done that yet. But, but he does it because he's simply acting on impulse. It's just his impulse to do this thing. The difference between the wise and the foolish is the very same. The wise have control, self-control over their fleshly impulses, but fools are controlled by their fleshly impulses. So the second characteristic of self-control is patience versus impulse. Patience versus impulse. This is found in places like Proverbs 19.2. Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. The contrast here is between feet and knowledge. And that before the feet go where they want to go, knowledge must come first. My mom uh, likes to describe her giant schnauzer like he's like this big as a bull in a china shop. She, She says that he's a bull in a china shop because he's just a big oaf who doesn't understand how his size affects everything he does. So he tries to jump on the couch with you and be all snuggly, but instead you have this like 75-pound beast, you know, like spilling over your drinks and everything. He just doesn't understand. So in other words, foolishness is exhibited in just committing an action without giving thought to it, but wisdom is exhibited in giving an action thought before it happens. Foolishness, Gives an action, no thought. Wisdom gives its actions thought. So there is patience, and there's patience in thought. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. Self control 
is the ability to think about your actions. Right? The ability to think about what to do. How to do it. Why you want to do it. What the consequences are. And and what to do when you've made a mistake and there are consequences. And the effect of, of either doing this or not doing this is compounding. Chapter 14, verse 15. The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. So you're either actively giving thought to your actions or you're actively being deceived about your actions. And when there's patience in thought, there's patience in words as well. Chapter 12, verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. Self-control and patience means we don't tell everyone everything we know. Self-control control is showing restraint with words. And in contrast, fools just don't know when to quit. I am the kind of person, and I don't like to admit when I don't know something. In fact, right, if someone asks me something about, about something I like to think I know, a lot about, like, I'll just kind of make something up in order to keep from being embarrassed. So I haven't talked a lot about, like, coffee, uh, but I love coffee, uh, and I'm with what's, I don't like this phrase, but I'm what some would call a coffee snob. You know, I, I, I do like McDonald's coffee. You know, I, I, I have, if you come to my house, I have a coffee bar. Like, I have this whole thing with glass instruments and a kettle and, and beans and a grinder, and I do all that kind of stuff. And, and because, like, I'm so foolish, people before have asked me, like, you know, about this coffee, and I'd be like, oh, this, this obviously comes from the equatorial region of Africa, you know, and, and I don't even know if that's true. I just say it. And I, I've gotten better at this, okay? I don't do this as much as I used to. This sermon is an example, right? I'm not just making stuff up. I give thought to this kind of stuff. But self-control is about patience with words. Chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous, listen, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Ponder versus pouring out. Knowing when to use words and probably more importantly, when not to use them. And a lot of of when and how we use our words comes from how we feel. So there is a patience in emotion. This is really what it comes down to because when you are all jazzed up about something, everything else just seems to come out of that. Like if you're just really worked up about something, all your actions and what you do kind of come from that. Proverbs 17:27 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Right? Did you catch that? Restraining words is directly correlated to being a cool man, keeping a cool head. This means self-control is about not using words even when your emotions flare up and demand that you use them. You know 
that you are acting like a fool when you resemble more of an eight-year-old boy on a playground who just has to lash out every time someone insults you or provokes you. Chapter 12, 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Or chapter 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The fool lets his emotions guide his words and his actions and his thoughts. But the wise know there is something more important than how we simply feel about something. So patience and emotion. There's a reason James says not just be slow to speak and quick to listen, but what, what does he say? Be slow to anger. Because when we're quickest to speak is when we're most angry. But there's something more important than being angry or trying to justify our anger. So there's patience, pause, versus impulse. Finally, self-control is about a proper understanding of flourishing versus pleasure. Self-control is about reward. Reward. When I went to Ole Miss in college, I was there just for a short time. I didn't graduate from there. But I had several people caution me not to go. They knew that the atmosphere there was very tempting and could potentially lead me to sin, which it did. But I ignored them and ended up having one of the most miserable seasons of my life. My eyes were fixed on pleasure versus flourishing. I was thinking short-term what I would gain versus long-term how it would affect me. So a critical part of, of understanding flourishing is, is that this, there's this understanding of flourishing in longevity. In longevity. The length. So I'm not talking about these Proverbs where you know, Solomon says, if you do this, it will add years to your life. Those are great Proverbs and certainly worth dwelling on. And we should certainly read them and listen to them and all this kind of stuff. There's more to say. But what I mean is that this pleasure is usually just about the moment, but flourishing is about what's lasting. What, in the end, will lead to my flourishing, my ultimate flourishing? So Proverbs 14.8 the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. In other words, the foolish blunder to the next thing, thinking that it will give them pleasure, but the wise think about where their road is taking them. Or chapter 13, verse 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. It all matters what happens at the end. And the wise are thinking about discerning what the end of a course of action is. So I can't tell you the perfect balance between saving for retirement and, and trying to enjoy things in life right now. Certainly, right? Buying a new TV is going to help you in retirement, but you don't have a new TV. 
it's often difficult but to balance between enjoying life now and trying to save up so that we can enjoy life later as well. And most often people get trapped by now because now is the most important thing that matters. And so Proverbs 21 verse 17 says, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. True flourishing does not consist in getting the maximum amount of pleasure that we can. It's not in the next best party or the next house or the next uh, boat or the next movie or the next game. This is not flourishing. Often, often flourishing is, a, is about forsaking a pleasure to pursue a worthier goal. So, that means there's an understanding of flourishing in worthiness. Having the wisdom to discern which goals are actually worthy goals. Which aims are truly worthy of pursuit. So, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the end of the earth. In other words, the, the, the prudent, the discerning, sets his face on a worthy goal, but, but fools are distracted by everything. And they don't end up going anywhere. So today, right, we live in a, just the age of distraction. There's everything in the world to distract you. Smartphones, right? The very existence, I don't have mine, uh, but the very existence of smartphones is, is all about distraction. I love smartphones. I, I know I, I rag on that kind of stuff a lot, but I love smartphones. But they're about distraction, Politics, right? Politics is about distraction, advertisement, TV shows, entertainment, smart homes, projects, Pinterest, whatever, right? We have all of these distractions. And, and if you've ever, this is the first time I've ever gotten one, I got a planner. And the reason like planners are good is because you have so many things vying for your attention. And what a planner helps you do is see what are the ultimate things that I want to do rather than letting all these other little things keep me from doing that. Proverbs 15.21 expresses this well. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Exercising self-control is like having a planner, all so that you don't get distracted from worthier goals. Everything else is planned about around getting something better. Finally, there's an understanding of flourishing and obedience. Flourishing and obedience. Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Critical to understanding God's word is understanding that they aren't just a bunch of rules. Yes, God's word has a lot of rules. There are many rules, but they are there for our good. God, in his infinite wisdom, authors, inspires his word to contain rules because what God wants is for us to flourish. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to know what it means to be human and to enjoy Him. And, and ultimately that happens in obedience to Him. 
Timothy Keller once said that true freedom isn't the absence of restrictions, but the presence of right ones. True freedom isn't the absence of restrictions, but the presence of right ones. So right now, what's happening in our world uh, is, is we have this idea of freedom, especially in America. And, and this idea that people adhere to, it changes over time. And today, freedom means not like a responsible exercising of, of these rights that we have, but freedom means getting to be who I want and getting to do who I want. But a fish can only be a fish if it's in the water. It, if it's out of the water, it's going to die. Humans can only truly be humans in the ocean of God's grace and in His Word. It's the presence, it's not the, it's not the absence of restrictions, it's the presence of right ones that make us truly human. And self-control and prudence is about knowing this and doing this even when it is incredibly difficult. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Sometimes it's not easy to keep obeying God. Sometimes there's no prophetic vision. Our souls seem dry. We, we can't seem to find joy in God. God's not revealing things to us like we want Him to. And it's hard to obey God, but so control would have us rather obey God and wait for joy than disobey him to go get joy now that's the story of Israel and the story of everyone in this room obedience has us obey God and wait for joy rather than take it upon ourselves to go and get joy on our own in our own power self-control is about an understanding of flourishing Versus pleasure. The whole contrast, right, in these Proverbs with this sermon is the contrast between the wise and the fool. The wise exercise self-control, you could say self-restraint, prudence, and the foolish just let the flesh take control. And that's the ultimate distinction. It's those who are controlled by their flesh and those who are controlled by the Spirit. Romans 8, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. This means that if we're ever to exercise self-control and walk in this wisdom, we can't do this on our own. We, we, we can't rely on ourselves. In ourselves is only flesh. This isn't your next self-help book, right? How to be more patient with your wife. This isn't about this. This is about walking in the Spirit because we don't want our flesh to control us. We want the Spirit to control us. And when the Spirit controls us, there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. 
And if we have truly repented and trusted in Christ, we have died to ourselves. Right? We, we've died to ourselves and, and we, we've died to our need to have control. We've died to our need to be right. We've died to our need to be vindicated or to justify ourselves. We've, we've died to our desire to win. We're free to give up control and to lose. We aren't losing anything if we gain Christ. We gain everything in Christ. So may our self-control be dictated by an ever-increasing desire to see Christ and become more like Him. And may the self-control flow from that. May we not be controlled by impulse, not by our flesh, not by our own desires, but may the love of Christ control us. His self-sacrificing, dying, substituting, wrath-bearing love in our place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are a people of impulse. If left to ourselves, Lord, we are Israel. You can deliver us a thousand times, and a thousand and one times we will just pursue our own flesh. We'll grumble and complain and seek joy in other idols and other gods. Lord, we, we will not listen to rebuke, but only go to those who tell us what we want to hear. Lord, we, instead of realizing our, our idols and repenting of them, Lord, we'll justify ourselves. We need you. We need you, Lord, to control us by your Spirit. Because we are desperately sick being controlled by our flesh. So, Father, we pray for more of your Spirit. We pray that, that your Spirit, that, that the Spirit of Christ would subdue our fleshly nature and begin to display your goodness and exercising prudence and patience and self-control and thoughtfulness. God, give us wisdom. Grant us your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.